you have your Bibles, open it to Ecclesiastes. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Alex will get you one. All right, Corey. Continuing our series in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Last week, we, we kind of had a positive place where it seems Solomon was really on an upswing as he just acknowledged, you know, that God has put eternity in the hearts of everyone and that he made all things beautiful in his time. But we're going to find now that we get to one of the more actually depressing points. You're thinking, oh boy, that's what we need. More depressing things. It's probably the most skeptical and nihilistic moment that Solomon has in this book. And so we're going to start at verse 18 of chapter 3, and we're going to read through to chapter 4, verse 3. It says, I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Men's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressor, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who are, have already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. Wow. How do you sink so far, so fast? How do you go to, from a place of recognition of God and him putting eternity in the hearts and all things are beautiful and it's time to a place of meaningless and we are no different than the animals? And I think to answer that question, you just have to answer it yourself. How do you go from a place of having such faith in God to having a place of doubting whether he's there. Can anyone relate to that? Can anyone admit that there are times where I'm filled with faith and then it seems like a moment of events take place and my faith is tested and challenged and questioned? And I might still believe, I might not go to the extent that Solomon does, but I do ask, God, why? What, are you there? Don't you hear me? And you see, what's taking place is Solomon, again, is seeing everything as being just what is visible. In other words, the spiritual realm is something that is non-existent to him. And so he compares us to the animals. We're just as the animals. You know, there's no difference between 
us and a dog, us and a rat. We, we are in the same place. And it, it's kind of interesting because Solomon's words almost seem prophetic to where we are at today, where the care of a chihuahua in some areas is equal to that of a child, where there is more protection over the turtle's uh, eggs than it is a baby that's in the womb. And it's wondering, how, how do you get to that place where life becomes so meaningless, where human life becomes devalued to such an extent? And it has permeated our society and our culture. If you think it's not, let me challenge you in, in this area. And this I usually do with those, or I've done in the past with those who are in high school or in the young adults. But let me ask you, if you were in a place where you saw a stranger, perhaps even someone who was homeless, you didn't know and you didn't see them as a value to society, and you saw your pet and they were both in a situation where they were going to drown, let's say, and you could only save one, would you save the pet that you love or the stranger that you don't know? And you would be surprised how many people would say, well, I'd save my pet. And the reason is, well, I love my pet. And you see we don't see that a person is created in God's image and has a value more than that of an animal. And really what we're doing is saying, this is what gives me pleasure, so I will save what I like regardless of what is more important, what has more meaning. And really what we're doing is entering into the same mindset that Solomon is in. Or we think there's no difference. But there is a difference. There is a huge difference. And we are, are trapped in this mindset that we can not imagine the value of human life more than that of the animals around us. And again, it's come about with the idea of evolution that there is no purpose. I was watching a video on YouTube. It was from one of the TED conventions. And what it was is a physicist named Neil Dawkins. And this guy is just a brainiac, okay? And he's talking about all these things. And at the end, someone asked him a question about, so you don't believe in life afterwards? It's all just this material thing. What happens when you die? What do you say? Is there any meaning? And it was interesting because his whole talk was the fact that there really is no meaning. But then when he was challenged, well, when you die, what do you, does it matter? And he said, when I die, I, just, I don't want to be cremated. I want to be buried in the ground so that my energy can go back into the earth to supply energy for those who are coming after me. And he got this thunderous applause. And I thought, really? That's enough? But you see, what was surprising to me is that he still had to find some meaning. I'll at least become energy and give birth to a flower. Something. Because the idea that my life, when it's over, has no more meaning is a haunting thought. And that's what Solomon talks about when he says, 
it's better. Those who are dead are better than those who are alive because at least they're gone and they're not worried about these things. But better still is those who have never been born because now they don't have to think about what's going to happen to me after I die. And that's his comparison. We have it worse than the animals because we have the thought that there is something more. We have it in our souls, as he said earlier in the chapter, that eternity is in our hearts, that do I just simply stop existing? At least if I were a giraffe or some kind of critter, you know, I would just not be worrying about those things. I just live for this moment. I don't think, oh, well, you know, when I die, I wonder what's going to happen to me. You know, what will happen? My dog doesn't think those things. Say, so how do you know? I know. But I do. We do. We think past the present. We think into the future. We wonder what's outside. And Solomon says, that's a burden that God has put on us, that we can think about those things. But Solomon was in a place where he could not see past what is here and what is now. And so he says, who knows if man's spirit goes anywhere else? Who knows? And I guess that's the question. Is this it? Is this all there is? When we die, are we just done? You know, it's interesting that when you have a near-death experience, you kind of get vitalized to live. It's kind of a, an adrenaline rush. It's kind of fun. When I was younger, it was kind of fun. <laughs> Scarier as you get older. I, I remember I used to have a 1963 Volkswagen Bug. And I remember driving down to the beach one day. I was going to meet some friends there. And I was driving, and I was coming down the 5 freeway. And I was going to get onto the 55. And it was before it was as developed as it is now. It was kind of a rough turn to get on there. But I was driving, and I was going about 55, because that's about as fast as that car could go downhill. And I was heading down the freeway, and all of a sudden, the, the brakes you know, we're there and all the people hit the brake lights are on and so I hit my brakes and my foot went to the floorboard. You know, just like, boop, that's not good. And, and so here I am going 55 miles an hour right into these cars that are stopped. And I'm thinking, oh no. And so I take this off-ramp that is there. I didn't mean, I didn't want to take it, but it was better than crashing into these cars. But then in the off-ramp there was more cars that were stopped. And so I went off the off-ramp and I went down this embankment, down this ivy in my Volkswagen and I just went <laughs> It was a lot like that. And so I, I went down the embankment, I'm going down the ivy and I'm going past all these cars. I remember just flying past and these people are looking at me, what's this guy doing, you know? It was like, remember Herbie the love bug? It was like... <laughs> I don't know why that came to mind. But anyway, I came and finally I get to the road and my car stops. And I get right back onto this one little stop sign like right on the street. It was like I planned the whole thing. <laughs> and it felt kind of cool because I didn't feel like an idiot. It's like, yeah, I meant to do that. 
And I was just like, oh my gosh, my heart's beating. And I'm thinking, man, I could have died. And then I don't know what happened. My brakes started working again, so I went to the beach, you know. <laughs> That's where I was heading, and might as well go there. Hey, I was just a teenager. You don't think, oh, I could kill someone else maybe. But just the, that excitement of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And then it doesn't happen. I mean, I just enjoyed the beach so much that day. It was like... Ah, life is good. Or construction. If you work construction, sometimes there's instances that happen. I was painting, and we were painting this industrial building, and what we had to do is scrape off all the deteriorized rust and old paint, and we had to get these compressors and blow it all down, and then we had to go up there and spray it with this uh, lacquer-based primer and then go back and paint the whole thing. It was a huge process. And it all took place about 60 feet in the air above all this gnarly machinery, all this metal and, you know, these conveyor belts and things going on. And what we had to do was take these things. They were called picks. They're basically planks. And we'd span them across the beams. And then we'd go across on this pick and we'd work on the ceiling. And these beams were about 15 feet apart and the plank was about 20 feet apart. And so I got good at being able to get a plank to move to the next one and I would balance it and I would start pulling it out and get it. At a certain point I would know, okay, there I've got enough room to drop it and it would hit the next plank before or the next beam on the other side. And so I was booging. I thought, man, I've got this down. I'm moving this thing, spraying, moving this thing, spraying, moving this thing. Well, there was one set of beams that was more than 15 feet apart. And as I'm moving this thing and I go back to let it down and start spraying, I just keep going. And I'm like, whoa. And I'm just, I've got this respirator on and I screamed like a girl. Sorry, girls. No offense. But you couldn't hear anything because I had this respirator on, so all you hear is, you know. And no one heard anything because I'm 60 feet in the air above all this machinery, and I'm about to plummet to my death. At least I'm sure I am as I'm sitting on this beam, and it's like a seesaw with no one on the other side, and I'm just going to go up. And then I hit a sprinkler pipe that saved me. And I gingerly snuck back up fix the things, and, and my peanut butter sandwich at break time never tasted so good. I was just in love with life, and, and I couldn't convey to people, I almost died. I mean, I'm looking over these machinery, and it just looked gnarly. I thought I, I was going to be a goner for sure. And it was stupid. Yeah, it was. But man, these near-death experiences we have just makes us think, oh man, it's so good to be alive, but then it also just thinks, what if? Would that just be it? Would my life be done and it has no purpose? No matter what happens to me after that, it's just done? The people who I love, who have passed on, their lives don't matter. We're like the animals. And you see, Solomon here, he says, we're just going to return to the dust. And what he's doing is he's going back to that place in Genesis. After the fall. When God says that you eat this tree, you will die. And, and first we go back to the garden scenario. And God gives 
Adam and Eve this choice. You can eat of the, the tree of life. You can partake of that one, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of that one. There's this choice, and God always gives us this choice. And you guys know the story. The serpent beguiles Eve, and just to let you know, Eve, Eve's the one who messed up first. Okay, Adam, you know, he was just dumb. But he, he, he kind of has an excuse. I mean, he's in this garden, and this, you know, woman who's naked comes up to him and says, hey, do you want this? You know, the guy just, he's like, okay, I guess so. You know, we go, he just wasn't thinking through. He fell also, sin enters in. And then what's interesting is it says, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Have you ever thought they didn't die? Anyone ever thought that? When you read that, you think, but wait a second, they didn't die. They just knew they were naked and ashamed. And so, but then they eventually died. So I think, well, maybe that's what God meant is they eventually died. You'll eat this and then you're going to get eventually dead. <laughs> I, I know that terminology probably isn't the best. But you see what I think really happened is that man did die. And that's why he realized that he was naked and was ashamed. Because he died at that point. And, and when you move forward to Jesus and how Jesus talks, he talks to us like we're not alive. He talks as if we are dead and are needing life. And I, I just want to touch on a few of those passages and look at that. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and I'm going to be flying around here, it says in verse 3, Through him all things were made. With him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In him was life. Now we talked about this when we went to 1 John, and in 1 John, he picks this idea up even further. In 1 John 1, 2, he says, The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And so John is talking of Jesus, and he's saying, The life appeared. Well, where was life before the life appeared? I thought we were alive. I, I thought we had life. And then in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I, I thought I was alive. I, I thought I had life. And in John 3.16, the verse that we all know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 and 18 goes on. He says, For God did not send his son into the world to contempt, condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed 
in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, it, it seems as if there is this understanding from his perspective that we are condemned already, that we are lacking life, and what we need is actually life itself. And in Jesus is this life, and what we need to do is connect to Jesus. And that's why Jesus in John 6 would say, I am the bread from heaven. If you eat of this bread, you will not die. You will have life. And it's again, I thought I was alive, but he keeps talking to us as if we're not really alive. And what do you do when you think you are alive, but really you are dead? You see, I think Adam died in the garden. I think he was separated from God, and I think he just didn't realize how dead he was. And I don't think we realize that without him, we are not alive. And that's why for some people, the idea of eternal life or, or life after this just doesn't make sense to them. I think it doesn't make sense to them because they are not alive now. And you see, if your life has no purpose, if your life has no meaning, if your life is just a hollow shell, then it's hard to imagine or even desire wanting that to continue on. Why would I want that to continue if it's just empty? But you see, when you're made alive, you cannot imagine not being alive afterwards. Because your whole perspective has changed. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And so we think of life as being something that happens after you die. Eternal life is what happens after you die, but Jesus is talking about life as what happens now and just continues on. It's not a matter of eternal life happens after life. Life happens now and life just keeps on happening. And we see this, I think, clearly in John chapter 11. Let's turn there. A story that I know you're familiar with. John chapter 11, verse 21. Jesus has heard that Lazarus is sick and that they're asking for him to come to, to heal him. But Jesus, he's kind of, you know, taking his time. This is kind of more the Latin Jesus relaxing. We'll get there later on, you know, as opposed to being, you know, this really stern kind of, I don't know, Dutch Jesus, you know, who, who got to be there on time. Am I insulting everybody now? Um, the idea here is Jesus, I, I, we'll get there. We'll wait. And so he waits. In verse 21, we pick up and we see that Martha, after he arrives, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's right, because wherever Jesus was, death was overcome. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's like, that doesn't help me, Jesus. 
That's kind of one of those religious things they say, you know, oh, don't worry, you'll see him in heaven kind of thing. But that's not helping me now. I know he'll rise again in the last day. And Jesus stops her and he says, no, wait. Martha, I know he'll rise again in the last day. Jesus answered and said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die you believe this? And you see, now Jesus is pressing this idea that whoever believes in me will not die. What, what does that mean? But what if I physically do die? You see, because Jesus, we know, is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus still, is later on, is going to die. I mean, he's not alive in a villa in Switzerland somewhere, you know, hanging out to this day. I mean, he died again. What did Jesus mean? And he says, whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. He's talking about life, but he's talking about life in a different way than we're used to understanding it. We're looking at chronological life. Eternal life is just something that's linear and goes on. And Jesus is talking about a life that is integrated with time, that does not change. Eternal life isn't linear. It is all-encompassing. It is a life that captures the whole person. And I think we should ask ourselves the same question that Jesus asks. Do you believe this? See, because this is the difference. This is the choice we have to make he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Do I have life? And the answer to Solomon's dilemma is the person of Jesus. Martha goes on and says, Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who, saw, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died again. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And I believe that Jesus wept not because Lazarus was dead, Jesus wept because he saw the despair of people who did not recognize life. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Of course he could. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. And now... Here we go. Martha says, well, wait a second. I don't know if you want to do that, sister. The man is dead. By this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. 
Isn't she the one who just believed? See, a lot of times our belief only goes to the place where we can understand and God is trying to to take us and open our eyes to see that there is so much more to who you are, to, to who I am, to who that person is that you don't even know, that we don't understand. And when you start saying, you're no more than an animal, or I would save my pet dog because I love my dog more than this person, you do not recognize the eternal weight of who this person is. This person has a value that you don't understand. That God would give his son so that this person would have life. That's heavy. Jesus in verse 40 said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. It's kind of a funny prayer. That they may believe that you sent me. It's like, God, I'm talking to you. I always talk to you, but now I'm talking to you out loud so that they can hear that I'm talking with you. You and me, we already know what's going on, but this is for their sake. I mean, it's kind of just, okay, God, I want them to hear what I'm saying right now just so that they'll know. And so they're listening going, what's he saying? What's he going to do? And when he had said thus, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus waited, and Jesus addressed the biggest fear that they had and the biggest fear that we have, that our life doesn't matter and that when we are dead, it's over. I remember when I was younger and before I came to faith in Christ, I could remember lying in bed thinking, what's going to happen to me if I die? What, what, what's the outcome? Where do I go? What is this? And I remember it, it haunted me. And so I started reading all kinds of just spiritual books. I read this one book. I still remember the name of it. It's called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. It was like my cup of tea. You know, I'm lazy and I can be enlightened. Sounds good to me. And it gave this spiel about your energy. And when you die, you become energy and you keep living as energy, something like that. And I found comfort just knowing at least I can go on as energy. I didn't even know what energy meant. Am I a battery? What, what, what does that mean? I'm, I'm energy. But I was looking for anything that would give my life worth, that would give my life purpose. Otherwise, I was just like Solomon. I was no different than an animal. When I finish breathing, it's done. It's gone for what is the purpose of life if there is nothing after? You might as well just get what you can, do what you can. But Solomon tried that. It didn't satisfy him either. What is the purpose? You see, if you don't have life, there is no purpose. But Jesus is life. 
You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God is always putting out this choice. And he tells the nation, I, I put before you cursing and blessing, death and life. Choose life. And we always think of it as kind of God saying there, you know, I want you to come and follow me. And if you don't follow me, you don't get life. And it's kind of like this carrot, like, you want life? Come follow me. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. But we don't understand that he is life. That there is no life apart from him. And so if you want life, it's found in him. That's why Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Not I'm a way to life. Not I will show you life. I am life. That's why John says, in him was life. It was the light of all men. The life appeared. He doesn't even use his name in 1 John. Why? Because he wants to give us the impact that Jesus is life. And to get out of the place where Solomon was at, where everything is meaningless, there's no difference between me and an animal. It'd be better if I was never been born than to have to be haunted by this thought, what will happen to me after I die, and know that I just go into the dust. And the best I can come up with is I'll be energy. It's meaningless. The exclamation answer to Solomon's haunting question is the person of Jesus Christ. He is life. And what we need to recognize is that life starts now. And if we don't have life, then we will live in despair. He's the answer to Solomon's dilemma. He's the answer to our dilemma. You know, a few weeks back, we celebrated Easter. That reminder that what Jesus said here and what he did to Lazarus was only to prove that what I say is true. Again, it wasn't that, Saul, or it wasn't that Lazarus would never die again. Oh boy, Lazarus is alive. He's going to live forever. No, it was to prove that I am the life. I have power over death. Whoever lives and believes in me, even though they were dead, yet they will live. The question, the choice, do you believe this? And that's presented to us. And the difference is that of having a life that has hope, promise, and purpose or being in the state where Solomon was at. And it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. And you will be haunted by those things. What do we want to choose? Because the choice is put out before us. Just as it's been before Adam, just as it's been to the nation of Israel, just as it's been to the people when Jesus walked this earth, same choice is up to us today, what we will do. Let's pray. Lord, I'm just reminded of when you addressed the multitudes and said that they were to eat of your flesh and drink your blood, or they could have no part of you. And, and as many of them left... You asked the disciples if they would also leave. And Peter, 
responded and said, where can we go? You only have the words of eternal life. And Lord, may we understand that. That we really have no, no other place to go if we want life. And that is our choice, whether we want life or choose not to have it. You urge us, you compassionately beg us to choose life. Lord, the choice is ours. You've always given us a choice. And I pray that if there are any here today that are in this place of despair, if those words of Solomon just resonate too clearly in their own heart, that their life is one without meaning, without purpose, without any validity, that they would see that there is another choice. And Jesus, you are that choice. So that they would consciously make the decision to trust you, to allow you to give them life. And Lord, for that to take place, you said that we need to believe in you. And Lord, what that means is simple. We need to acknowledge who you are, that you're not just a man, that you are God sent to give us life, that you are life itself. You are the bread from heaven. You are the light of this world. That we put our faith in what you have done for us. And in turn, you give us life. And so I pray that this morning, God, that you would buy us back, redeem us from that fallen state, May you open our eyes to help us see if we are really dead and just thinking we're alive. That we come to you and receive that eternal life, that life that encompasses and surrounds us, that life that gives us a life that never ends. So that even if we die, yet will we live. And I pray we would believe Lord, I do ask these things in Jesus' name.